0: Today's scripture is from 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14, 1 Kings 8, through 30, and Acts 20, or I'm sorry, Acts 2, 29 through 36. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be my son. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants, who walk before you with all of their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you have declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me in the throne on the throne of Israel if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before. As you've walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. You have regard to the prayer of your servant. And to his plea, O Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive, forgive. O oh, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the Patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, and that and he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up That God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. We've been, um, in the month of November, we focused in on prayer and we spent time. Just looking at throughout the different passages of Scripture and through the Bible, how prayer develops throughout the redemptive story. And each uh, part of the Bible has a little bit more to inform us about, and we also see fulfillment of those things that we've learned in the gospel in Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, as we've moved into our Advent season, we decided to just continue looking at prayer together, but understanding the advent of the coming of the Son of God uh, through the lens of prayer and what that shows about him and what it shows about what he's accomplished. And so that's what we're going to do uh, together today. And I'm going to briefly just look at uh, this these passages. Now, a lot... There, it's two passages in your bulletin and one passage that wasn't. I just, the more that I wrestled with the redemptive historical thread and the way that this flowed, I realized that these three passages that we included or had read are. Um, really important to connect together, and so we'll hopefully see why as we unfold this for you. So let me let me give those passages, the middle passage to you, just so that you can write it down, and if you have your Bible, open up to it, and we'll refer, you can look at it, and we can refer back to it, or if you have your app, you can open it, and uh, we can do that. But the the passages in the middle is from 1 Kings 8, 22 through 30, 1 Kings 8, 22 through 30. Okay, and so what we see there, uh, just by way of setup, is that the first passage in 2 Samuel is the Lord's promise to David, right? The Lord's promise to David. And then the second passage in 1 Kings 8, you see Solomon praying at the dedication of the temple. He's established as king. He's uh, on, sitting on David's throne as his son, and he built the temple, and he believes that he's the fulfillment of God's promise that David made here. And then we have Peter. We have Peter saying, yes, there was a fulfillment, but it wasn't the full fulfillment. It wasn't the full fulfillment. To look back at that passage, those passages, those promises, we have to understand the one who came. And therefore, we, it moves right into Advent in Jesus and Jesus and the one who did come. So let's take some time. And what I'd like us to look at today, just two things. We're going to look at the fact that through prayer, we speak God's promises and fulfillment of those promises back to him. Right? Thinking about prayer, through prayer we speak God's promises and fulfillment of those promises back to him. And so we're going to look at, well, how does this change the way that we pray? How does it change the way that we pray? And we'll look at these two things. We'll look at speaking the partial fulfillment of God's promises back to him. And speaking the true fulfillment of God's promises back to him. So partial fulfillment, true fulfillment. Speaking those back to God. All right. So the first thing. We speak the partial fulfillment of God's promises back to him in prayer. God's promise to David and fulfillment to Solomon were partial. We're partial, okay? And it, you need to know that when you come to Scripture. Look at Second Samuel 7, 12 through 14, with David? what God says to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And then in first Kings 8, that's not listed in your bulletin, Solomon says in verse 24, you've kept, he's talking to the Lord here, he's praying to the Lord. He says, you have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand, have fulfilled it this day. Okay? So there's partial fulfillment here. Why? Why and how does this partial fulfillment of God's promises change the way we pray? Well, we begin to see partially through Solomon's eyes in his prayer. Again, this is the First Kings 8 part we begin to see through Solomon's eyes something of the way to speak back to God the promises he fulfills. And so Solomon's prayer was the most detailed. Think about this. When you're reading the Bible and you're going back through the Hebrew Scriptures and the Old Testament, the most detailed, the most informative expression of prayer is in 1 Kings 8. It's the most, uh, most developed expression of prayer to this point. And it occurred at the dedication of the temple. Okay? Now, some of the details and information that we see about Solomon's expression of prayer in the temple are this. Solomon saw God's promises to his father, David. He saw them, the promises to his father, David, fulfilled through his own reign and his building the temple. Solomon looked at God's promises to David and he saw them fulfilled. In response to what God promised and how God fulfilled his promise, Solomon prayed. Put it another way, the knowledge of God revealed to Solomon's father David was the framework then from which Solomon interpreted his experience of the world. Solomon's prayer flowed out of that framework, flowed out of the framework of God revealing himself and his promises to David um, Solomon's framework here, the way that he looks at the world, the way that he understands and interprets his experience in the world is a very helpful way, is very helpful to the way that we pray. Now, well, you say, do you mean to tell me that I have to consider how my framework for interpreting my experience of the world affects the way that I pray? Isn't that a bit much for something as basic as prayer? Certainly, I would say, certainly you need to consider your framework for the way that you look at the world when you pray. Your framework for the way that you look at all things affects the way that you do everything, including pray. I remember a story that I heard in my early 20s, so a lot, you know, right about the age where a lot of you are. And uh, a pastor told this story of two elderly men in hospital beds. And the two elderly men, one was in the corner by the wall, and the other was in the corner by the window, and the two beds were divided by a curtain 24-7 because the severity of the man's condition by the window was such that he had to, they had to maintain privacy. And uh, they were there for a long time together, days and days and days. And the two men would talk to pass the long hours in the hospital beds because it gets fairly boring there when you're infirm and you can't go anyplace and you're... you're um, beset with something. And the man by the wall, wishing that he could be by the window to see outside and getting tired of his wall, asked the man by the window what he could see. And so then what had happened is that the man by the window would spend, ended up spending hours each day describing the scene that he was able to see, the park across the street. He was able to see a mom feeding ducks with her little girl at the pond, a dad teaching his son how to ride a bicycle, a young couple walking and holding hands. And over time, the man by the wall became jealous, and uh, he was jealous that he couldn't also be by the window to see all of life going on outside and the beauty of the park that was just beyond his reach. And so he began to resent the man by the window. Now one day, however, the alarms for the man by the window sounded, and the doctors rushed him off, and the man by the window didn't return. And the man by the wall was thankful that the man by window was now gone because he saw his opportunity. And he asked if his bed could be moved to be beside the window. And he was told that it could, but they would have to wait. He would have to wait until the staff got the area situated for him. And the man by the wall was delighted. And when the moment came, his bed was moved to beside the window, and he asked that the curtains be drawn back for him so that he too could see all of the wonderful things going out in the park outside. And when the nurse drew the window's back, the curtain's back, the only thing outside of the window was the wall for the opposing wing of the hospital. Your framework for interpreting your experience of the world has everything to do with the way that you pray. The question you have to ask yourself is this, am I relying on how God reveals himself as the basis of my framework when I pray? Or am I relying on my own self-focused wants as the basis of my framework? Do you see? The knowledge of God revealed to his father, David, was the framework from within which Solomon interpreted his experience in the world. And we learn something about prayer that way. We learn something about the way that we have to challenge our own framework for the way that we see things. Your framework for interpreting your experience of the world around you is crucial in prayer. What's your framework? What's your framework when you come to pray? Now, as instructive as it is to see Solomon's framework for prayer, Solomon's framework for God's fulfilling his promises was incomplete. What? It was incomplete. The first fulfillment of God's promises to David was only partial and not complete through the reign of Solomon or his building the temple. What was missing? Verse 12 Uh, of our first passage in the bulletin, says, And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What's missing is the kingdom forever part. Solomon only saw the fulfillment of God's promise partially. Why? After Solomon, the kingdom of Israel fell into decline, and that led to eventual destruction. This golden age of Solomon's reign that's represented in the 1 Kings 8 passage comes to its height in 1 Kings 8. This chapter is clearly the pinnacle of Israel's history because after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel fell into decline that led to eventual destruction. What does that mean? That's why we've included Peter's explanation of God's promises and fulfillment of the promise to David. In Acts 2, written in your bulletin, Peter taught that the men of Israel, that David, and by implication Solomon, could not be the fulfillment of God's promises because David lay dead in his grave to that day. There was more to God's promise than David, to David than just Solomon in the temple. Although Solomon was the first fulfillment of the promise, the fulfillment was partial, and there was more fulfillment to come. Peter says David saw this. It's important that you do too when you go to a prayer in the scripture and you use it as a basis to learn how to pray. So what does God require of us? What does God require of us if that's the case? Well, I think you should give some thought. I think we should give some thought to the framework for interpreting your experience of the world that you bring into prayer with you. Give some thought to that framework. Evaluate whether your framework is based on God's revealing himself in his word or whether it's based on some other criteria that you have. It is crucial to prayer that your prayer begins to flow out of God's revealing of himself instead of your own self-focus. And that means, friends, that means that you've got to read your bible daily when's the last time you cracked open the scriptures and read do you have that as a habit you receive and are shaped by other people's words all day long every day how will that not also affect the framework with which you interpret all things the question is whether your framework is the question isn't whether your framework is affected by the words of god or others or not The question is that all the words you encounter day in and day out shape the way that you look at the world. And so what's shaping you most? Whose word do you go to most? Is it somebody else's word? Or is it the living God's word about you? So when you speak the partial fulfillment of God's promises back to him, you're letting his word shape your framework for interpreting your experience of the world. But you're also looking for something more. You're looking for something more because it's not the full fulfillment you're looking at, and this is our last point, you're looking at speaking the true fulfillment of God's promises back to him. Look at uh, Peter's explanation of how God fulfilled his promise to David in Acts 2. I'm going to look at verse 30 and verse 36 in part. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the Christ. And then in 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Here we come to Advent. Here we come to the revealing of the Lord himself. The Lord reveals himself in the person of Jesus. And Peter says this and he argues it. And he argues that he's the real fulfillment, the true fulfillment, the final fulfillment of what David originally prayed. The Old Testament, look, the Old Testament comes to an end. I know it's hard. The Bible's a hard book to know. It's big. It's unwieldy. And you've got so much history and the way the book's put together and who's doing what. It's like a huge house that you don't know where all the rooms are. You don't know where everything's at. It takes a long time to figure out and get your pace with it. But you've got to start. And you've got to start when you're going to let what God's word, what God reveals about Himself, shape your prayer. The Old Testament comes to an end without the promise God made to David being fulfilled fully. And after a gap of about 400 years, Jesus of Nazareth is born. He's born, and he he grows up, and he begins ministry, and he declared that his role is to fulfill everything that was promised, everything that's promised and came before. So how are we to understand Jesus and the fulfillment of God's promises? I'm desperately thirsty, so let me get a drink and we'll pause there and come back. One of the uh, as we follow along with the passages from Sunday in the home meetings uh, during the week, we also have a companion reader that we work our way through. So we have the study itself, but there's a companion reader. The companion reader for this series is Graham Goldsworthy's "Prayer on the Knowledge of God," and he writes this. And I think that we can follow him here. I like what he says, and I think it's right. He says some prophecies of judgment were fulfilled. We're talking about fulfillment, what constitutes fulfillment, and our understanding of that, if. David's promise was partially fulfilled in the Old Testament. What constitutes full fulfillment? And so he unpacks that, and he says, some prophecies of judgment were fulfilled in a quite literal way in the destruction of Israel and Judah in 722 and 586 B.C. He says, some prophecies of restoration had a similar fulfillment in the return from exile after 538 B.C., but all of these fulfillments were partial and lacked the full impact of the prophecies. They were really only pale shadows of what had been predicted. He he writes that in Israel's history, in Israel's history, the judgment was not as heavy as some of the prophecies seem to indicate. And the restoration lacked the full glory of the kingdom of God promised by the prophets. So it's only when we get to the New Testament that it's maintained that the real fulfillment is at hand through the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. The man who was also God, who was born of a manger, and grew up as a carpenter in a poor ancient Near Eastern Middle family. And he was a Jew. He was part of a marginalized people in the ancient Near Middle East. And the New Testament then shows us that the events of the earthly ministry of Jesus, including his death, including his resurrection, including his ascension, followed by Pentecost, where he sends his spirit, they all determine They all determine the understanding of what fulfillment is. Do you see that? So here, um, there are enough specific examples in the New Testament to understand uh, a basic sort of principle, some basic principles. And you might want to think about this as you think about Jesus fulfilling the roles that were promised, the roles that were promised to David, the roles that were promised to Solomon, through Solomon, the roles that were promised all over Scripture. Here it is. All prophecies fulfilled at the first coming of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. Right? Jesus claimed that for himself. The second point is that all prophecy is being fulfilled, so it was not only fulfilled, but it is being fulfilled in the present age as the gospel brings in those who are believing into the kingdom of God by faith. So it, it was fulfilled, it is being fulfilled, and all prophecy will consummatively be fulfilled in the whole universe when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. Now that's a lot. That's a lot. I get it. Let's try to put it more simply. All prophecy, everything the Old Testament says, promises of God, all of it is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, Advent. And Jesus comes, think about this. Maybe you haven't thought about this. Jesus comes in three ways. Did you know that? He comes in three ways. He came in the flesh in the gospel event. It's one. Two. He came in, in his spirit at Pentecost to indwell his people, the church. That's two. And finally, he will come in glory to judge the living and the dead. Now, speaking back to God, the partial and the full fulfillment of his promises is not of interest to us solely because it tells us what will happen one day, but it tells us about the three comings of Jesus and how we're to relate to them as we pray. What the prophets tell us about God's promises and fulfillment of those promises is significant to our prayer because it applies first to Jesus and then to us here and now. We are those, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, we are those on whom the end of the ages has come. It's uh, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Advent then is about the coming of the one, in whom everything is fulfilled, in whom you're fulfilled, and not only fulfilled past tense, but is being fulfilled and will be consummatively fulfilled. Do you understand that? Do you understand the richness of the story, that it's not just located in one place in time, that's located all throughout time, and that when you pray and you understand the fullness of God's promises and you let that shape your prayer, that you're seeing the scope of the story. You're not just seeing one part of it. When I read to my kids, I'll sometimes say the end and stop reading to see if they're listening. Anne-Marie, and they go, oh, Dad, that's not the end of the story. Anne-Marie has a similar thing. It's a little more uh, edgy. And she says, uh, and the sharks ate her. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) Dumpy the dump truck and the sharks? No. Uh, Or think about the princess bride. You remember the princess bride? Kissing comes, I don't want to hear the story. Well, maybe I'll hear a little bit more of the story, right? Uh, With a gospel, you can't just stop mid-story when it comes to God revealing himself and shaping the way that you pray and shaping your framework. You can't just stop in the middle of the story. You can't go from the middle of the story to yourself. You have to let that story point to the coming of the one who fulfills everything. And then you pray based on what he's done. But you also, and lastly, you see... That the one who came, came in your place. Look, Solomon, 1 Kings 8, the association of the kingly prayer with the dedication of the temple, points to a link between prayer and the kingly reign of Jesus. Who is the new temple? He's your temple. He's where you go to meet God. He's where you go to talk with God. And the promises in 2 Samuel 14, they had their first partial fulfillment in Solomon's reign and building the new temple. But the true fulfillment of those takes place in the resurrection of Jesus, the true Davidic king who ascends the eternal throne in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Do you see that the role of Solomon in his prayer, the dedication and sanctification of the temple are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus? Do you see that prayers of Jesus here on earth in intercession for us in the temple of heaven fulfill a similar role in the ultimate dedication and sanctification of the new and heavenly temple? Friends, what does God require of us in this? The gospel transforms your framework for interpreting your experience in the world from the inside out entirely. So to speak back to God, both the partial and the full parts of his promises, uh, is what you should be after. Don't just stop in the middle of the story. We do that all the time, and we see Christians do that all the time. You pull a piece of text out of the Old Testament or out of the New Testament, and you isolate it, and you just relate it directly to your desires without checking your framework. That's not what God desires for you. And a lot of you struggling to change and struggling to live life that's different because of the gospel end up resigning. End up resigning and saying, that's just the way that I am. That's not what Jesus says. He didn't come to leave you as you are. He came to make you like him. See the larger story. Pray based on that. Pray based on the one who, when he prayed, it went silent and there was no response except judgment on the cross so that you might come boldly as sons and daughters into his presence without judgment. Your prayer life won't remain the same because of the God who was born as a baby and grew to do all of these things and more for you so that you could be free to speak back the wonderful promise and fulfillment that he's had on your behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now mindful that we need you, that we want to know you better through your word, that we depend on you to show us how our framework uh, needs reshaped from the inside out through the good news that you've come in the person of your son. And that when we come to the scripture and we try to learn to pray from the prayers that are there, we can't just stop with someone like Solomon, who was a wonderful servant of you and a brother to us now through Jesus. But at the time that he prayed, even he said, I don't, even he prayed, I don't really get how this can be true. Uh, Something made by the hands of men can't contain you. And yet there is one who makes all of it true, makes all of your promises yes and amen. And so we come to you now in him, full and complete. We lay our striving down and we rest in Jesus alone, gloriously complete. Be with us as we continue to worship you, we ask in Jesus'
0: name. Amen.